2 Corinthians and chapter 5. And let's begin this morning in verse 10. We saw all 21 verses last week, which is really a lot to cover in one message. Let's continue and uh, let's, let's refresh our minds with this. The Bible says in verse 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive of the things done in his body, according that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God. And I trust also are made manifest unto in your consciences. For we commend not ourselves again unto you, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf, that you might have somewhat to answer to them which glory in appearance and not in heart. So much today is about the appearance, not about the heart. Paul recognized this. He says, for whether we be beside ourselves, it is, it is to God, or whether we be sober, it is for your cause. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Wherefore, henceforth know we no man after the flesh, yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth knowing him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. With that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now that we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ said, Be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. The refreshment of reconciliation. The refreshment of reconciliation. This morning we're going to look at this and you say, well, it's Mother's Day. You're supposed to only preach on Mother's on Mother's Day. Hey, you know what? Uh, that's that's um, made by men, okay? Now, it is Mother's Day. It's going to have a lot of connection with mothers. But you know what? Uh, sometimes you come to church on Mother's Day. For those of us who are men, you go... Well, the message isn't going to be about me today, right? Uh, and uh, children are like, well, that's not for me today. But uh, it's about all of us, and this will help all of us. Uh, uh, a godly mother, by the way, is a reconciler. A godly mother is a reconciler. The refreshment of reconciliation. Uh, God saved us to make us reconcilers. God saved you for that purpose. Uh, God doesn't do anything halfway. Aren't you glad about that? Uh, Aren't you glad that the Lord didn't just half raise Jesus from the dead? Okay? Um, aren't you glad that Jesus wasn't just half born and just partially there? Aren't you glad that he was completely, that he came and gave his life completely for us? Aren't you glad that Jesus was all in? Aren't you glad that Jesus' mother uh, uh, had a heart of submission and humility as she sought to raise the Son of God? God doesn't do anything halfway. So if we've been born again by the Spirit of God, how on earth can we be content to not let that Spirit empower us to labor fervently for the souls around us? Think about that. I mean, if God loved me so much and you so much that he came and sent his Son to die for us, then how on earth can we be content 
Do not labor fervently for the souls around us. Do not labor fervently that they might be redeemed. I love this verse. 3 John 4 says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in the truth. No greater joy. What a great blessing on Mother's Day, right? To have a child in the house of God, uh, to have your mother with you in the house of God. What a great blessing. I have no greater joy, though, than to have my children walking in the truth. There is great joy when your child loves Jesus Christ. Uh, as a pastor wisely told me years ago, I asked him, I said, how do I please my parents? How do I live, how do I live a godly life? He said, you, you uh, please your parents by uh, living a godly life. You live a life that's pleasing to God. You will honor your parents. That's how you honor your father and your mother, by living a godly life. There is, though, a great joy in building bridges, reconciling men to God. He says that he, he's given to us, in verse 18, the ministry of reconciliation. The ministry of reconciliation. Uh, there's a great joy in building these bridges, but it takes work, doesn't it? It's easy. We just a, a moment to say something, and wow, the bridge is destroyed. Uh, I invite you to join on this journey. It's difficult. We're all learning. But it will cost you everything, your reputation, your family, your pride. But there's a reason he's put us here. The prescribed plan of God for every Christian is to be reconciling men to God. Uh, God didn't just save you uh, to sit inside when God saved you to serve. Laboring to lead others to the Savior. See, the joyful mother is a woman who's personally labored, loved, and led her children to Jesus Christ. Uh, growing up in Georgia in our church, it was such a great joy many times to see the parents had led their child to Christ, and the daddy joined the pastor in the baptistry and baptized his own child who he had led to Christ. What a great joy. He led his own child to Christ and got to participate in seeing that child follow Christ in believer's baptism. What a great joy to see the child in the faith. Look, they can learn math. They can have everything. They can go anywhere. But if we didn't lead them to Christ, uh, we must return to the starting place and focus on that one goal to win souls to Jesus Christ. Living a reconciled life so that our children might want it as well. And he describes this in the text. First, he describes that we labor. Verse 9. This is a hard word, right? We labor. We labor. He says, whether we labor, that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. The very simple principle in the Bible, the diligent prosper. God blesses diligence in whatever area in our life we demonstrate diligence, God blesses that. He says we labor that we might be accepted of him. We labor to be accepted. That ought to be the desire, that ought to be the goal in our life. We ought to labor to please him. And by the way, God is not a bad slave master. He's not the one you're going to say, well, you know what, I labor to please the Lord, and he was disappointed in me. No, he'll be, he'll be pleased, well pleased, if we live with the right motives and the right purpose. Laboring to do what? He says, that's verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So we're laboring, realize, realizing there is a reckoning day coming. Just like uh, if you work for a corporation at the end of the year, what do they give you? A year-end review, right? And sometimes at the year-end review, a lot of people, you never see them again. Uh, it's the year-end review, and it was it was when they got the little pink slip. They're done. 
because uh, they were being lazy maybe on the job. Uh, we must all appear before, he says, the judgment seat of Christ. At the end of our life, we give an account to God for living a life serving Christ and leading souls to Christ. He says that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to he had done, whether it be good or bad. Uh, you say, what can I get away with in this life? My friend, it's not what we can get away with, my friend. We ought to strive to please the Lord, because ultimately, only what he thinks matters. Verse 11, knowing therefore, he says, the what? Terror. The terror. Now, God is not a, a mean God. He's not an angry God, but he's an honest God. And just like a good parent will have a consequence that's rather stern uh, for a bad action, uh, a good parent will tell the child no, and uh, they won't have to say it twice. No means no. Uh, in the same way, God, when he says no, uh, he wants us to not go that way. If we keep pushing, we realize that we offend God. We persuade men, he says. Why? Because God wants to be pleased with our life. We realize that God will not be pleased if we do not persuade men. He says, but we are made manifest unto God. And I trust also made manifest in your consciences. There is a great joy in the house of God when we persuade men. Um, one of my greatest joys in the last few months, in the middle of all this virus stuff, has been spending time with Christian. We've been talking a lot, discipling a lot, and ministering together a lot. And he just shared with me about these people that he's been talking to at his, at his workplace. And, and uh, John's been sharing with me the same thing. He's been talking with at his workplace. And Christian gave a guy a Bible. Next thing you know, the guy's reading the Bible, right? And growing from the Bible. And coming in and sharing, hey, I'm learning from the Bible. Why? Because he's being taught how to. My friend, that is what it's all about, is taking the Word of God, learning from it, so that we might impact somebody else's life and lead them closer to the Savior. God wants us to labor in that direction, to work hard in that direction, to persuade men of the King. We realize there's an ultimate day coming when all men will stand before God, and those who have not put their faith in Christ will perish in eternal hell. And because of that, we persuade men. He says, we do not commend ourselves, verse, verse 12, for we commend not ourselves again unto you, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf, that you may have somewhat to answer to them, which glory in appearance and not in part. He says, we're not trying to please just those on the earth. We want to please God. I heard of these three sons who worked very hard in life, grew up in a, in a poor home, went out, and they diligently labored. And these sons, uh, they labored for years, and they, they came back years later to their elderly mother, bringing her gifts. One of them, they were all comparing their gifts. One of them said, I have labored for years, and I have uh, built a house, a special house, just for my mother, and uh, I'm going to give that to my mom. The second son said, I have labored diligently, and I bought my mom a Mercedes, and I have a paid driver to go with it to show her wherever she would like to go. The second son, I mean, third son thought he was going to outdo them all. He said, I got a hold of 12 monks or 20 monks at a monastery, and I had them train a parrot for 12 years. And it cost him a lot of money. He said he spent almost a million dollars on it, uh, having them to be trained, training this bird. Well, all three sons gave their gifts, and soon they received thank you notes from their mother. They said, Mom said, the houses that you built are so huge, I live in one room, and I have to clean the whole house. 
To the second son, she said, I'm too old to travel. I stay home all the time, so I never use the Mercedes, and the driver is so rude. And to the third son, she said, thank you so much for the chicken. It was delicious. <laughs> and my friend, this is why we don't labor for just these undeserved. I tell you. Um, we ought to labor for the things that last for eternity. Invest in things so that we can invest in eternity. Uh, we ought to learn to ask around the house of God, is there anything I can do to help around the house of God? Instead of doing my own thing, is there anything I can do to labor for Jesus this week? Uh, good sports teams are teams that learn to follow their leader and work together, and good churches do the same. Uh, there have been hundreds of things to do this year, and we could all volunteer to help with things and serve together. Um, think about this. Uh, I, I met with a man this week, not saved, and doesn't know the Lord, and he was, he was talking to me, he says, you know what, for years, he said, I served our community, he said, but now it's all my time, he said. And I'm like, oh, he says, I know it's a little selfish, and I'm thinking, that sounds a little, he's like, I know it's selfish, but I, I kind of just live for me now. That ought not to be the way we live. Uh, live all these years, and now I'm just going to live for myself. That should not be the goal of our life, but that is the American dream. Verse 15 says, And he that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. So there's a new purpose. We're laboring to please the Master, to please the Savior. And laboring in what? Laboring in the ministry of reconciling men to God. Focusing on that primary labor. We've been given one primary labor, one primary purpose, and our knowledge of God should cause us to labor for Him to win souls to Christ. We need to, we may need to work an extra job, we may need to labor extra in the ministry and try and help people in order to meet our giving goals, but we ought to labor with one final objective, the souls of men and the furtherance of the kingdom of God. The labor of the believer is a labor of diligence. And the mother in the home that labors diligently, Proverbs 31 describes them as a virtuous woman. And you see that woman in Proverbs 31, she's laboring, she's working up all night, making the clothes for her children. She didn't have Walmart or Toys R Us or any other place, or she didn't have Carter's. She couldn't go buy things like that. Uh, she didn't even have a thrift store to go get things at a very discounted rate. The woman in Proverbs had to make all of her stuff herself, and she was diligent, she was thrifty. The woman in Proverbs also bought and sold land. She was a very, very industrious woman. And the woman of God ought to labor in the work of God. We ought to labor. We ought to also love. Verse 14 describes this. We ought to love the refreshment, the refreshment of reconciliation. There's nothing more refreshing than being around a loving, kind person. Uh, for the love of Christ, said it says, constraineth us. So it literally controls, it monitors the way in which we live. Because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. So we all deserve to die, but because Christ came, we can all live. And so the love of Christ constrains us. It controls the way we live. It ought to control it. He says that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto them. Which died for them and rose again. We love for one purpose. We love because He loved us, and we want to show that love back. He loved us. 
for the love of Christ, the love of Christ, we all enjoy receiving love, but do you give love back? Do you give love back? It's easy to know, right, the people that are loving in life, but it's such a blessing uh, to be one who gives that love. It's impossible to love our neighbor and bring him to Christ if we can't show love to those in the house of faith. It's a choice. Look at John chapter 1. Look at Jesus. John chapter 1, verse 11. John 1, 11. Look at Jesus' demonstration of love. Bible says in John that Jesus came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even that believe in his name. It says he came unto his own, right? And his own received him not. He died for the Jew first and also for the Greek. He came and gave his life, and he, he, he came to redeem mankind. But yet they rejected and crucified the Son of God. He came and loved his own. He loved those to whom he had given the law. Think about it. You think Jesus was there when Moses wrote down the law? I believe he was there. And so God's present, the very presence of God, and Jesus has manifested himself to Abraham back in the Old Testament, and to the Theophanies, and he's manifested himself in all these ways, and and we see now Jesus on earth, and the Pharisees, those keepers of the law, the Sadducees, have the copies of the law that he had right. The inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, these words are written, and they're not following them. And they're the ones that rejected and turned him in. Think about it. They literally turned him in, trying to use what he wrote to turn against him. It's crazy how they, how they did that to Jesus. And uh, he says, yet he loved. For the love of Christ, the Bible tells us, constraineth us. It constrains us. It holds us back. Jesus came unto his own, and even though his own received him not, he continued to love. And aren't you thankful for that love today? That's the true love. Love gives and love lives. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. That he gave. Think about that. God so loved, he loved so much that he then manifested that love by giving, just as when a, uh, a young man, a young lady, consider in marriage, they, they give a ring, right? The young man saves up and gives that ring. And when the young man gives that ring, he prays and hopes that his future bride doesn't lose it. Or go walk it, okay? Um, because, you know, that usually costs a lot of money. And he has a goal that she would not only know that she, he loves her, but that she would receive this gift as a token of his love for her. And the circle representing that that love will never end. And so it's a picture of love. In the same way God loves us and he's given us the token of love, by ministry and giving us the gift of his son, which was a great manifestation of his love. And his Holy Spirit is a continual manifestation of his love. His forgiveness is a continual manifestation of his love. I'm so thankful that he loves. For God so loved 
the world that he gave his only son. He loved those who had rejected him, those who had turned on him, those who had built the Tower of Babel. He loved those who had literally built things to reject and to mock and to destroy his name. He loved and sought to give mercy and salvation to all who will repent. The extent of our love is manifested by the quality of our gift, by the quality of our gift. Uh, love works no ill, for love is the fulfilling of the law. Children have ways of demonstrating love in such kind and thoughtful manners and being so kind, right? Children remember things, don't they? I mean, you tell a child one time, and uh, they're remembering things, and it was, it's so sweet when they remember things in prayer that you didn't even have to remind them about. And they're thinking through everybody in the house and people that they know in church and thinking through special things they can pray for. They were only told one time about that need. And yet here they are at the table. And uh, Lucy likes to pray a long time. And uh, if you want your food to get cold, have Lucy pray. And uh, she likes to pray a long time. But she, she prays for everything. She thinks through everything around the table. She thinks through the people. And uh, she just thinks about different needs and different people. This morning she was praying for everything that she could think of. And uh, she listens to her sister pray and copies it. And I tell you, our children are listening to us, aren't they? And they, they are going to follow uh, our example, whatever example we set for them. We love, we ought to love, and a demonstration of love is manifested by God. It's also manifested by the way children love. Uh, they're so gracious. Uh, a loving mother continues to manifest love to a child even when that child rejects them. Love. We love. He says that we ought to love with a continual love. For the love of Christ constrains us. Hey, he died for everybody, so you know what? Today they rejected, but we love. We're going to continue to love. Love always involves a personal sacrifice. Think about that. It always involves a personal sacrifice. Thirdly, we lead. We ought not only to love, but we ought to also lead. Um, verse 18 says, In all things, back to 2 Corinthians 5, are of God, who hath reconciled to himself by Jesus Christ, us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Given to us, he says, the ministry of reconciliation. We lead. It's hard to teach what we have not yet learned. I remember trying to teach Spanish. I can speak it fluently, but I don't understand the grammar. Here I am reading this book about the grammar of Spanish, and I'm trying to teach these smart kids, and there's a couple A-plus students sitting there who got a 105 on every test they ever took for any teacher, and they got a 99 on mine, because probably as a teacher, I didn't do quite as well as maybe their math teacher did. And, I mean, they were... Uh-oh, teacher, you got bonus points, but we still got a 99. They wanted to get a 101 or up. I mean, it was, they had to get a 100. They had to. And uh, I remember trying to teach them, and I remember thinking I was so inadequate trying to teach something that honestly, uh, I was like, uh, why did they have to put all these crazy things in languages? Uh, if you don't understand, just try to go learn Spanish, all right? Uh, the grammar is, is beautiful, but it's incredible. And uh, Greek's the same. Uh, I really struggled in Greek. Greek class as well. Greek is difficult. Uh, so these languages and all these things 
are, that are difficult to learn, but you know it's hard to learn and to share what we have not learned ourselves. Uh, for those of you who have children or have raised them, uh, doesn't it always strike you funny when somebody who's never had a kid or never taught a kid or never raised a kid likes to criticize the accomplishments of your kid? You're like, okay, um, why don't you try it? Uh, look at the life. Look, if nobody's following them, then don't follow them yourself. And uh, look, God wants us to be a person who leads by example. And find people who are leading others and then build into those people. Invest in those people who are leading others to Christ. Uh, I don't know about you, but I plan to invest my short few years in people who lead others to the Savior, uh, not those who make excuses about it. He's given to us the ministry of reconciliation. You read of Joshua, you read of Moses, you read of David, you read of Paul. All these men wisely sought out men who were qualified to lead and put them in positions of authority. David had 600 men. Paul had several that worked with him. Moses uh, delegated many, many men to lead those millions of people. And Joshua did the same. And look, when you see somebody who in life has 30 or 40 people in this community that follow their spiritual example, you ought to invest in them and you ought to try to seek to help them be able to win more souls to Jesus Christ. He has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. It's a ministry God wants each of us to have, and we ought to seek to labor and strive to be a part of the ministry of reconciliation. Uh, as a godly mom, you have one primary ministry. It's more important than your job, more important than your home, more important than the dishes or the car repairs. The souls around you are the only thing that's going to last in eternity. And find time in the Word so that you might impact them. Your cup of joy will be filled when these souls are reconciled to God. He hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. That's what he's given to us. He gave us a ministry that we can be a part of, simply reconciling, saying, how do I do it? Well, demonstrate love to them. You say, my child already has everything. Maybe they already have everything. But how about walking over to them and bringing them a pie and just saying, I love you. Look, if you've got a broken relationship and things are bad and things are not good, maybe just take them a pie and if you personally uh, say, well, they might not like it, they might throw it away. Um, look, that will happen, but love is a continual demonstration. And so when they do that, well, just uh, maybe find some other way to send them something. And continually manifest love. They need to know that we love them. God wants us to lead, and we lead by our example of loving those who, honestly, many times do not love back in return. Um, for years, I've heard about these women, these godly women, and I've witnessed some of it in my own life as I've traveled around, who lead souls to Christ. They lead their doctor. They go to the hospital. Uh, they have some emergency. They're in the hospital, and they lead their doctor. They lead the RN to Christ. Uh, they lead people all around them to Jesus Christ. Everybody wants their Jesus and their neighbors and their strangers at the store see Christ and want their life of reconciliation. And look, that ought to be our desire and our goal. We ought to live a life that's so zealous and so, so sold out for Jesus that people come by and they want our Jesus. They want to be reconciled to our God. He says that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Not imputing their trespasses unto them, and committed to us the word of reconciliation. So you say, what does that mean? God literally 
is saying, through the gift of Jesus Christ, I'm going to forgive all these bad things you've done. I'm going to forgive all of your sins. You just put your faith in Christ, and your sins will be washed away and forgiven. But you must come to a place of faith and trust in Christ. See, the ministry of reconciliation literally can transform a community. It can transform uh, civilization. We, we say, you know what? In America, we say we're going to bring peace. We're going to bring peace. In the world, we say we're going to bring peace. You can't bring peace when you reject Christ. In the same way, in our homes, in our community, we cannot bring peace when we reject the things of Christ. Um, we need to, as a Christian, be sold out to Christ and to all the things of Christ. The ministry of reconciliation. Seeking to genuinely reconcile men to God. So many men this week that I've met with that have seen new people, different people I've been interacting with, and my friend, they're seeking for answers. They're seeking for answers. And they're in this community, and they need Christ. I pray that we would have a vision and a burden to seek to develop relationships with people that need Christ so that one day they come to put faith in Christ. The ministry of reconciliation. Saying, how can I be a reconciled? How can I be a reconciled? Well, it's very simple. Just look around you, in your home, start there. Uh, and that's, that's a, a, an investment of time, isn't it? And uh, for me, that means in many ways that uh, I have to figure out ways to cut back time on certain things so I can spend more time with my family. Because look, if I want to have my children grow up to love God, I have to spend time with them. That's a very simple, basic understanding, a basic principle. Same thing in the community, same thing in the church. We want people to be reconciled. We have to invest uh, time into the people that God's put in our own homes. And then in our community, and then our neighbors, we have to reconcile lives with them. Seek to be reconciled to one another. And if we're going to do that, and we reconcile on basic things, then we can be reconciled and help them come to recon be reconciled with our God. Because they've got to know that we love and we can forgive. Be ye reconciled, he says, verse 20. Verse 20, he says, we are ambassadors for Christ. He says, literally, we're sending you on a mission. God says, I'm sending you on a mission to go be an ambassador, to go be a messenger, to go be a representative of Jesus Christ. Are you saved today? If you put your faith in Christ, then you automatically are an ambassador for Christ, how's the job going? Think about it. How's the job going? He says we're ambassador for Christ. He says I've given you a job. Though, he says, God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. We cannot live a reconciled life. We cannot be a good ambassador if we're not personally reconciled to God. And uh, thank you men for joining this commitment. Uh, the men that were in the prayer time on Sunday, commitment to pray for at least 15 minutes every day uh, for the next month. And what a great challenge and a great commitment. I encourage you to continue with that commitment. And if this week was challenging for you, it takes about three weeks to establish a good habit. So we get committed to a month. And so if you make 21 days out of the month, you will have a habit formed in your life. At least 15 minutes. And uh, some of us committed to... Uh, more time than that, but you know what? You can continue to commit in the area of prayer and you continue to commit to be a person who will be a leader spiritually in your home. He says, we're ambassadors for Christ. We're ambassadors for Christ and we ought to be reconciled to God. 
a good ambassador is somebody who knows how to make peace with the other nations around you. Uh, you want to send somebody in there who knows how to represent the country well. Somebody who knows how to form relationships and build relationships. Otherwise, you're going to wind up having trouble in that nation. And God wants us to have a ministry where we care and we reconcile in our workplace, in every place. We seek to be reconciled, reconciling men to God. Uh, do you know the spiritual needs? Do you know what people are looking for in this community? We need to, we need to be aware of their spiritual needs. There are many things that people are looking for, and uh, people, honestly, many of them are interested, they want to come to church, but they just want to make sure that we're not going to be Pharisees. Okay? As basically, as soon as they know that, they'll be here. And they want to make sure, and they ask me often, they say, I want to make sure, they say, I've been to church most of my life, and I want to make sure these components are not true. These Pharisaical components. And that's something that they ought to look for. Because they're saying, you know what, we've seen a fakeness before in, in ministries, and we want to make sure that there's true, a true godliness. Reconciling men to God. We want true godliness. We want a faith that lasts, a faith that endures. And seriously, that's what our church, our community is looking for, is genuine Christianity. Christianity that happens not just in church, but the rest of the week. A Christianity that is in, in closing this morning, God wants us to each be a reconciler. To labor, to love, and to lead with one goal, to lead others to the Savior. Labor not, Jesus said, for the meat that perisheth, but for the meat which endureth the everlasting life. Revival comes when we begin to live a reconciled life. What a great peace it is, right? When we say, you know what, I'm going to choose to be reconciled. I'm going to choose to be at peace. Because uh, re reconciliation is genuinely, it is self Control. It's a choice. Uh, doesn't mean we won't have to address things, but it is a choice to choose to live in a reconciled way with one another. You and I can enjoy the refreshment of reconciliation, but it is a choice to be reconciled. He says, I beseech you, be ye reconciled to God. And he says in verse 19, he hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. You say, what is the word of reconciliation? Well, let's start with Proverbs. A good word, make it the heart glad. Uh, let's start with Proverbs. Uh, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and pictures of silver. Silver. So it is speaking a good word that would definitely help in the direction to open the heart to receive the word of God. He says, a word of, the word of reconciliation. We have the whole word of reconciliation right here. We gotta let God permeate it in our hearts. And that's why these scripture memory verses have been awesome this year. Putting the word of God in our hearts so that we might then be able to impart it to somebody else. And I'm so excited about what God is going to do and what God will do, uh, continue to do in the future. I'm always encouraged when young people seek to be reconciled to God. And, and uh, I had a young person even contact me this week and say, you know what, Pastor, I've just been sorry about some things that I did uh, to you last year. And I want to ask your forgiveness. I said, friends, you're already forgiven. And they said, I want to live a reconciled life. And you know, it's so refreshing when God puts it on the heart of a young person to have a heart that says, you know what? I just am sorry. You know what? I had a bad attitude. But, but you know what? I was rejecting Christ. And now I, I'm asking you to forgive me. And I want to live a reconciled life. I want those around me to be brought to the king. We ought to live a life of reconciliation. And you know what? We live a, a life that is seeking to be reconciled. It's amazing. Uh, God will help you resolve relationships, and God will help you to see fruit that abounds to the glory of God. And when we live a reconciled life with our family, 
It's amazing they'll want our Jesus and they'll come around the things of God. Let's pray and ask God to help us with that today. Ask God to help us to all be ministers of reconciliation. It's something God's given you to do. He's given you a word. He's given you a ministry. Ministry of reconciliation. I invite you this morning in a moment to just come and say, Lord, help me to be a reconciler. You might already be doing a perfect job at it. Maybe you're doing a job that's so great at it, you're just an awesome reconciler. Every relationship in your life is perfect and reconciled, but maybe you just pray and ask God to help you to continue to do that. Okay, if you're that perfect, uh, none of us are, okay? But if that's you, uh, maybe but all of us, I believe, could pray today and say, Lord, help me to reconcile somebody to you. Help me to be a minister of reconciliation. I want to impart the reconciliation to others. Let's ask God to help us with that today. As we close in prayer, Kenneth's going to play in just a moment. I want to encourage you to do business with the Lord. Let's stand together this morning. Let's stand together, our heads bowed, our eyes closed. And uh, let's take a moment and just ask the Lord to help us to be ministers of reconciliation. Father, I pray that you would help each of us in the room, that we might live a reconciled life, and that we might thrive in our community, and thrive. Lord, in every area of our life because we are reconciled. And we have peace. Peace with God, peace with one another, peace with those around us. And Lord, we see this world going crazy around us, but I pray that you would help us to live a reconciled life. We truly do not know how many more days we have left on this planet. Father, we don't know how many more days we have left. We don't know if, if uh, today might be our very last day. We don't know about a car accident. We don't know about uh, a shooting that might happen. Lord, we are not aware of any of these things. But so we need to live a reconciled life right now, as if it was our last moment. Help us to live with that in mind. A reconciled life. I pray for anyone in the room that has not yet been reconciled to God, never yet put their faith in Jesus Christ. They would come to a place right now where they put their faith in the blood of Jesus Christ, who died for them and rose again from the dead. That today they might believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Thank you so much for the ministry of reconciliation. Help us to each do our part in reconciling others to you. Pray these things all in Christ's name. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, we're going to close out the live stream at this time. Thank you each for watching in. And I want to invite each of you to join and to come forward and pray and ask God to help you and me that we might be reconcilers in this house, and in this community, and in the world around us. If that's your prayer, would you join us down front to pray today?